ready in Matthew 17 is where we'll be. Matthew chapter 17. We'll look at verses 14 through 21 here in just a moment. And as you've come there, hopefully already, or if not, as you find your place, just want to remind you again the purpose behind of the miracles of Christ. We've been studying them on Sunday mornings, all right? Keep in mind and remember the miracles we find in the Word of God are not there just for some kind of show as Herod the king wanted to see in Luke 23. Though every time you would see a mighty miracle of Christ, they would no doubt be jaw-dropping, all right? It had been amazing to see. But it wasn't for some kind of show. It wasn't just to draw some kind of following, though many people followed Jesus because of what he did for them. Uh, but that wasn't the main purpose. It wasn't just to show the mighty power of God, even though each every one you will see just that very fact, that God is all-powerful and there's nothing too hard for him. But that's not the main purpose. It's not the main purpose behind the miracles to show how Jesus helped so many people, though he did that. He helped thousands of people by the miracles that he did. But these are not the main purpose that I see, at least, behind the miracles of Christ. Rather, I believe the main purpose is this, to prove and to show that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is Christ, that he is God come in the flesh. As the Bible says, his name shall be Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. All these miracles prove that this man, Jesus, is not just some good man, not just some prophet, not just some moral teacher. No, he's much, much more. He is God in the flesh. 100% man and yes, 100% God all at the same time. He is the Almighty. Here's what John said about it in John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. These signs, these miracles are here for us. Why? That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So understand, this is why Jesus did all of these miracles. To show you and I that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And understanding and knowing this truth should, should, listen, it should bring you and I to a saving knowledge of Christ. To believe on him as our Savior and have life through his name. That's the purpose, the main reason behind the miracles of Christ we find in the gospel record. So I want to encourage you once again, allow these miracles to bring you, to draw you closer to Jesus. All right? Good. Let's look at Matthew chapter 17 as we find another miracle, the next miracle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it may be good for us to understand and know since the last miracle of the feeding of the 4,000 in a context leading up to this miracle in Matthew 17, Jesus has spent some very one-on-one -on -one personal time with his disciples. He has spent some time away from the crowds, away from the multitudes, just them and Jesus. And listen, it's very important for us even today to get, a, get alone with Christ, to get away from the hustle and bustle of life, all right? To get away from the crowds, get away from the multitudes, just get along with Jesus. And that's what these disciples have done for some time. And in his time with, with his disciples, Jesus has revealed much of himself and about himself to these men. He lets it be fully known of his person. He lets it be known that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, as Peter makes this statement in Matthew 16 and verse 16. But Jesus did not deny this fact and tells them this, actually, in verse 20 of Matthew 16, tell no man that he is the Christ. 
He let it be known who he was. He bluntly told them he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus let it be known his purpose for coming to earth. He let that be known in Matthew 16, verse 21 through 28. How he must suffer many things. How he must lay down his life. How he must die, be buried, and be raised again the third day. Why? To offer salvation for all mankind. He let it be known his purpose to come to earth. To die for you, be buried for you, and raised again the third day. To give us life and give us life eternal. That was his purpose. Also, in between these miracles, we find Jesus takes the inner circle of Peter, James, and John up to a mountain. And it's this, this, for this purpose there to transform himself before them. We call this the Mount of Transfiguration. But this is where Peter, James, and John, they see Moses and Elijah with their own eyes. But they also see and get a glimpse of the glory of Jesus Christ. And it's upon that mountain as well that they hear the very audible voice of God the Father thunder out of heaven. It would have been an amazing time to spend this alone time with Jesus as a disciple. It would have been amazing. But understand, during his personal time with Christ, these men got to experience some life-changing teachings. They got to experience some life-changing experiences. <laughs> it would have been absolutely amazing to see and be a part of. And I believe it's very important for us to take note of that as we come to this next miracle. And look at it with me in Matthew chapter 17, verse 14 through 21. The Bible says this. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son for his lunatic and sore vexed. For oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil. He departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If you have faith of a grain of a mustard seed, you say to this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Father, I thank you again for the word of God. And I pray that you'd help us to understand it in this time together. Help us to grow in grace and knowledge of Christ. May we take another spiritual step towards you and for you. Bless this time we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. From this portion of scripture, number one, what I'd like for us to consider and take note of is this. Number one, understand and see the fearful situation. All right? Understand and see this is a very fearful situation. Now, we need to know how horrible it was. I couldn't imagine going through what this young man or this father even was going through. And sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, when we read Scripture, especially read historical events such as this one, we can read it and read it over quite casually. And when we look at these instances, we can kind of be indifferent, if you will, as we read ab about them. But to get the full grasp of how dire this situation was when we read this story, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want myself to do. I've tried to do this in my study. But I tried to put myself into the situation. So put yourself there. Put yourself into this situation. I want, to try to, want you to try to picture that this son here, this, this child here, is your child. I want you to picture uh, this individual, this man, and this child. This is part of your family. This is some of your family members. Uh, picture it as someone who, who is really close to you, who you care about deeply. Try to picture them in this situation. Because when you do, 
When you do that, you will see the situation a little bit different. You will see it really as the horrible and fearful and even hopeless situation that it would seem to be. Understand it's a very fearful time. For this son and for this father, number one, take note how fearful it was. This time and situation was demonic. It was demonic. Notice what the father says here about his own son in verse 15. He says, have mercy on my son for he is lunatic. Now, you know what lunatic means, right? You know what's synonymous with lunatic? We all know this, especially if you're parents of teenagers. Just kidding, guys. Sorry. (laughs) Just kidding. But you know what lunatic means? Lunatic here, it means, it carries the idea at least, that this young son was crazy. Now, not crazy as being funny, saying, man, you're crazy. No, no, no. He was legit. Crazy with a capital K. All right. He was crazy. It means that he was not seeing reality as others would see reality. And this would all be because of his demon possession. This situation was demonic. And this situation would put anybody in fear. You ever been around someone who is possessed of a demon? I don't think I have. (laughs) I hope I haven't, you know. But I can imagine being in the presence of a demon-possessed individual. How fearful that would be, but this is how this man lived for years. Oft times, as the Bible says. Understand the situation was demonic. Then number two, understand the situation was very dangerous. It was very dangerous. The Bible says in verse 14, he is lunatic and sore vexed. Now, sore vexed here means he would be badly tortured. Uh, This devil was torturing this son and really the father because when you see your children going through something that's miserable and painful, guess what? You hurt with them. It had been a miserable time for these individuals, but he was being tortured by this devil. And here's how he was being tortured. The Bible says here, oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. Uh, This demon would torture this boy. He would throw this son into the fire in order to try to kill him. And every time that happened, guess what? The father would have to run and rescue this son. Or the demon would come across as maybe they're walking down the road or walking down the street and walking past a lake or walking over a bridge. He would try to cast him into the waters. Why? For the purpose of killing him by drowning. And every single time, the father would have to jump in and rescue his son. This reality, this situation of having to deal with being burned alive or drowning would have been a very dangerous situation for this father and for this son. It's dangerous. It's demonic. Try to picture yourself in this situation with your own child, with your own father, with your own family members, and understand how fearful it would have been. Number three, this situation was also very desperate. Understand this was a desperate situation for this dad and for this son. No doubt, no doubt, this dad would have gone through every possible means to find some help for his son. No doubt he went to the local doctors to try to find some help and get some answers. Surely he would have done that. No doubt he'd reached out to family members and friends to get some help. Good night. We would all do that. What do I do? You call your neighbor. What do I do? My son is lunatic. What do I do? And you know what your neighbors would do? They hang up on you and change their number. That's probably what they would have done. But you'd reach out to somebody for help, right? The doctors, the neighbors, your friends. Somebody help me. No doubt he was trying to do that. And understand, oh, no doubt as well, this dad was probably just flat out tired. Rescuing his son from the fires, rescuing his son from drowning. As the Bible says, oft times, many times he had to do this. He was just war, slap out, trying to take care of his son. And this would have caused anybody to be desperate. Desperate for relief. 
Desperate for rest, desperate for help, desperate. Put yourself in a situation, surely you would agree this would have been a desperate. But, praise the Lord that Jesus and his disciples have come back to the multitude. They spent some time away, just, a, just apart from everybody and getting, getting closer to one another, learning more about Christ. They, they, were, they were doing that, but, but they've come back to the public eye. And they've come back to the multitude. And they've come back to this area which his father and son live. And it would seem that help is on the horizon because the mighty disciples and Jesus have come to town. Surely, if anybody can help this man and this son, surely it's got to be the disciples. It's got to be Jesus. If anyone's going to get me out of this fearful situation, surely it's these guys. I mean, after all, after all, it was, it was the disciples it was the disciples that have, had cast out demons before. You can see that Luke 10, 20. They've done this before. Oh, man, they can help me. Surely, surely they can help me. I've got to get two of them. And so that's exactly what the father does. He brings his son to the disciples first, which was, by the way, his last hope. But understand this fearful situation. Then number two, I want you to see this. I want you to see a faithless generation. That's what Jesus says in verse 17. Look at it with me. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Now I know in the context of this scripture, there was a multitude of people. That included sick people. Uh, that included people needing a miracle. Maybe even in this context, there could have been, could have been some Pharisees among them. It could have been. But a lot of people, multitude of folks, are here at this moment. And Jesus is, is referring to all the multitudes that day. But I think specifically, he was referring to these individuals. Listen, I believe he's referring to the disciples as a faithless, perverse generation. And I get this as I compare verse 17 and verses number 20. And when you compare that and you see, oh, faithless generation, and verse 20, you see Jesus says, because of your unbelief. I believe he's referring to the disciples when he makes this statement. So the disciples, as I think of them, and read this phrase that Jesus makes and the statement that Jesus makes about them, this thought comes to my mind. Faithless. What? Wait, wait, wait. Hold the phone. Push rewind. What do you mean faithless? Surely you ain't talking about them disciples. <laughs> How could these guys be faithless? How can these guys be full of unbelief? I mean, after everything they have seen and experienced, how could they be faithless? They have seen the multitudes fed. They have seen so many miracles. I think we're on miracle number 30 right now, I think. They've seen at least that many recorded, but even more than that. They have seen multitudes of miracles. They've seen Jesus' power over and over, his power over the spiritual realm, casting out demons, the power over creation, over the physical realm, calming the storm. We've seen it over and over, seen his power. He's caused the blind to see, the lame to walk, the deaf to hear, so much more. What do you mean, faithless? And faithless, after the men's weekend camp out that they've had on the mount, you've got to be kidding me. After everything they saw there with their recent personal time with Jesus, hearing the very fact from the very lips of Jesus, who he is, the son of the living God. What do you mean, faithless? 
What do you mean faithless after Jesus admitted this fact and after he showed this fact on the Mount of Transfiguration as Jesus let, let forth his inner glory be seen by the very human eye of these three individuals? And they saw Moses and Elijah and they saw Jesus converse with Moses and Elijah. What do you mean faithless? And what do you mean faithless after they're on their camping trip with Jesus in the mountain and they heard the very voice of God thunder out of heaven and said, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. What do you mean faithless? What? How can this be? Understand, these disciples, they knew Jesus was 100% man. And yes, 100% God. There was no denying this fact. They knew who Jesus is. Then why in the world would Jesus say, Guys, this is faithless here. Guys, you're being faithless. This generation is faithless. They're being faithless. And even, even they asked Jesus why they couldn't heal this boy. Look at it with me. Verse number 19, then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could not we cast them out? Man, that's pretty good, Jesus. But, uh, we've done this before. Why couldn't we do it? Verse 20, and Jesus said unto them, because of your, what's the next word? Unbelief. That's why. It was their unbelief that hindered them. It was their faithlessness that hindered them. Maybe, maybe, I'm speculating a little bit here. But maybe as they saw the father and son duo coming to them from the multitude, they, they, they saw them coming for help. Maybe they thought, oh, oh no, not that kid, <laughs> not that son. We have heard about him, not him, not, not this guy. I mean, the dad, he's, he's a good dude. He really is. But his son is crazy, again, with a capital K. He's nuts, man. He's nuts. He's coming to us. What are we going to do? I mean, this kid has tried to kill himself multiple occasions. He's tried to throw himself in the fire. He's tried to throw himself in the rivers. He's had to, had to lean on his dad the whole time to, to even have life at all, sustain his life. And maybe Peter, because Peter always would like to stick his foot in his mouth, you know. Maybe Peter spoke up and said, well, boys, mm -mm, I don't know, boys, mm -mm. I guess. Boys, I guess we'll try. We'll try to heal him. I guess we'll try. And maybe they went through the motions of helping this kid. Maybe they laid their hands on him. Maybe they went all full on Benny Hinn on him and went, whack, and maybe tried to heal him. I don't know. All right. Maybe they tried, and I was just being funny there, but anyway. Uh, but maybe they tried, went through the motions of trying to heal, uh, heal this, this boy. Maybe they spoke some good words they've said before, and Maybe they said the same things. They just went through the motion of it. They didn't really believe. They didn't believe. They did not believe he could be helped. They did not believe he could be healed. They didn't believe it could be done. Why? This dude is just too hard. This case is a hard case, and it's too hard of a case. And there ain't no hope for him. It's too hard. Understand there are people who are hurting. People who are in some very fearful and desperate situations and fearful circumstances, and it may look as if these individuals have no hope. There's no hope for them. There's no hope for their family. No hope for their child. No hope for their spouse. No hope for their marriage. No hope for their health. These cases are just too hard. It's too hard to deal with. There ain't no hope. By the way, this is exactly where the lying, stinking devil wants you to be and wants you to think and wants you to live. 
with no hope. He wants you to live in a state of hopelessness and unbelief. Why? Because the devil knows the Lord. He doesn't work in that. He works in spite of that, but doesn't work in that. Let me show you what I mean. In Mark chapter 6, verse 1 through 6, And he went out from thence, and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things, and what wisdom is this which giveth to us, or unto them? That even such mighty works are wrought by his hands. It's not this, the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judah, and Simon, are, are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto him, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and his own house. The Bible says this. About Jesus, in his hometown, around his own family, around his own friends, around his own people he grew up with, he said this. The Bible says that he could there do no mighty work save that he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. He could there do no mighty work. Why? He marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. That's why. Why could not Jesus do such a great mighty work as he's done in so many other places in his own hometown? Why? They would not believe him. They wouldn't put their faith in him. They would not trust him. They wouldn't put their confidence in him. That's why. He could there do no mighty work. Guess who knows that? The devil. He knows if you'll be full of unbelief and faithlessness. He knows. He knows how deep and far you'll go in despair. He knows that. And by the way, that's where he wants you. Full of no hope. But like I said, I'm thankful that God works in spite of our unbelief. I'm thankful for that. He even did that here. But I'm also reminded of how he could work and would work, rather, probably a better way of saying it, how he would work if we would but trust him. If we would but believe he is able to do exceedingly above all we ask or think if we would actually believe that nothing is impossible with the Lord if we would actually believe that what would God really do if we would operate in that fact that there's nothing too hard for the Lord to understand if we would operate that day or that way every day the, the possibilities are endless to walk by faith and not by sight. Truly walk by faith. Believe in God the whole time. The possibilities are endless. But because the disciples here were operating this way of unbelief and faithlessness. Jesus said this. He not only called them a faithless generation. But he called them this perverse generation. Now perverse here. It means this. It means to distort. It means to misrepresent. Understand this truth this morning. If believers do not operate in the realm of faith in God, if we do not operate in belief in the Lord and confidence in Jesus that He can do all things, why? Because He is God. If we don't operate in faith, then listen, understand this truth this morning. We are distorting the view of God and misrepresenting the Lord. Let that one sink in. I've had to do the same. I've had to do the same. If we call ourselves believers, we call ourselves Bible believers, we call ourselves believers 
of the Lord Jesus Christ, then I want to tell you something very profound. Then we must believe him. <laughs> if we say, I have faith in God, then you must operate faith in God. And whatever it may be, believe him, trust him. If we call ourselves believers, we must behave like it. Here's what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, But without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And there's a comma there. What does that mean, that he is? Yes. <laughs> yes. That he is. The self-existing one, that he is. Must believe that he is, that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. In John 20, 27, Then saith he to Thomas, Rich hither thy finger, behold my hands, rich hither thy hand, thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. This is what he commanded, commanded uh, Thomas at this time. And listen, it's something that we need to be enacting in our lives as well. Not faithless, but believing. And as I was thinking through this and praying through this text and, and saying, Lord, I, I, how, do we, how do we show really our faith in God? What, what's a great act that we can do, if you will, if I can say it that way, a great act, uh, uh, how to behave and show our, our faith in God? What is one of the best ways to show that? Well, I believe we can find it. In the dialogue here between Jesus and the disciples, look at it with me again, verse number 19 and verse number 20. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart. And said, why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith of grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible. You understand, your faith does not have to be big. It can be little faith, but just in a big God, all right? The grain of a mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds there is known to man, Okay. If it just has a little bit of faith, but in a great God, you can, there's no telling how God would work and could work in our lives and through our lives. But here's a great way of showing that. All right, look at verse 21. How be it, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. So could it be, could it be that the disciples were depending upon themselves to help this boy and cast out this demon instead of depending upon the Lord? I would say yes. I think, I think it very well could be they were depending upon themselves and their past experiences of casting out devils and their past power of doing all of that. They were trusting in themselves. And here's why I say that. Because the Bible says, again, in verse number 19, why couldn't we? Cast him out. <laughs> Boys, it's never been about you, all right? It's always been about Jesus. He's just been using you in very powerful ways. But in this moment, this fearful, impossible situation, what these disciples needed to do was come to Jesus and ask him to do it. Really, what they needed to do in a roundabout way is just simply pray. Why? Prayer, understand, is our declaration of faith. It would be our declaration of dependence, if I can say it that way, upon the Lord. And what is, what is faith? Faith is this, trust, belief, and confidence. That, that's, that's synonymous words with, with, with faith, all right? And that faith, trust, and confidence needs to be in our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what better way to show that faith, confidence, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ than to talk to him in prayer. 
I think that's a great way to show our faith in God is when we spend time with God in prayer. Hebrews chapter 11. Thank you, Lord, for this verse. I'm going to go to it. All right. I don't have it in my notes, but I do. just came to mind. I want to read it to you. Hebrews chapter 11. All right. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. All right. Have you ever seen God? I'm glad you didn't raise your hand. If you did, you wouldn't be here with us. And if you raise your hand and say you've seen God, you're a liar. And uh, many anoint you with oil and all that kind of... No, I'm just kidding. But, but that'd be weird, all right? Nobody's seen God. Nobody's seen God at any time, what the Bible says. But do you talk to Him? You talk to somebody you've never seen. That's either really weird or you have faith. <laughs> I believe prayer is a great act in which we show our faith in God and show our confidence in God and that He's real. We believe in Him. It's a great act in which we can do so. So let me ask you this morning, have you been doing that? Spending that personal time, one-on-one time with God. Getting away from the hustle and bustle of life, we're all busy. All of us are busy. Even folks who are retired, you're busy. <laughs> you are. But do you take time on purpose and for the purpose of spending time with God? On your knees in prayer. You may be going through some impossible situations in your life right now. Impossible. And it seems hopeless. Good night. But have you been spending time with God in prayer? You say, oh, yes, I have. Good. Keep it up. Because you never know when God will answer in his time and way that desperate prayer of yours, prayer of faith, trusting the Lord. Keep it up. Keep it up. Here's why we continue to pray. Here's why we continue to believe. Here's why we continue trusting God. Lastly and quickly, number three and lastly. I want you to see from this text a faithful Savior. Like I said just moments ago, these individuals, I believe disciples, speaking of, were a faithless generation. I believe they were operating in the realm of unbelief, all right? And it didn't get them anywhere. But this man, this father and son, still needed help. They still had a, a desperate situation, very fearful. This, this son was still demonic. It's, it's still desperate, still dangerous. This situation hadn't changed. The disciples did nothing. Why? They were unbelieving at this moment that God can do it. And he's a hard case. But we still see even though Jesus said, oh, faithless, perverse generation. At the end of that, he says, bring him to me. <laughs> and he was still faithful to help in this situation, faithful to help this father, faithful to heal this son, faithful. I'm thankful. Man, it's helped me. This helped me as I went through this and studied through this. I'm thankful that God works in spite of us. That God helps us in spite of us. That God heals and, and does mighty things in spite of us. But my goodness, what could he do if we would have but a faith of the grain of a mustard seed? What, what would he do with a church like this? I don't know how many people here are here, 150, 160. Evangelistically speaking, 273, all right? But uh, anyway... I don't know, 
what God could do with 150, 160, 170 people who would fully just say, you know what, I'm going to trust God today, tomorrow, rest of the week, rest of the month, rest of the year, rest of my life. I was going to believe God. Whatever comes, I was going to trust Him. There's no telling how God could use us and what God could do. There's just no telling. So I'm praying that God would do that. I'm praying that God would do great and mighty things we know not. I've been praying that for several years now. I got several things on my personal prayer list in my mind that I think of and pray for that if I told you, it would probably scare some of you, all right? But why would we pray little things to a big God? Let's, let's, let's have some big faith here. Let's pray some big prayers that only God could do. There's no telling if we all just truly, just fully, 100% just trust God, believe God, and fully sell out to God. There's no telling what God would do through us. There's no telling what he'd do for us and in us, but through us, think of it. There was a man who told D.L. Moody one day, he said this, he said, the world has yet to see what God could do with a man who was fully surrendered and sold out to God. And D.L. Moody said this, he said, by the grace of God, I want to be that man. Let's just be those kind of individuals and let God work through you in more bigger ways than you could ever imagine for his glory 